Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. So for today's show, we're going to be talking about some fun. We're going to be talking about some generosity, and we're going to be talking about a show that has a, an all-black cast. So if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I am Jordan Lambert. I am the DM for Blackness and Dragons. That happens on Q-Times every week. Kind of. Kind of every week. <laughs> <laughs> kind of every week, yeah. Very awesome. Yeah, well, before we get into your show specifically and everything that came about that, you know, kind of... What was your background into tabletop RPGs or even just like getting into nerd stuff in general? <laughs> just background nerd stuff in general. Um, I have two older brothers and they're both like considerably older than I am. My oldest brother is 12 years older than I am. And the one who's closer in age to me is eight years older than I am. So they were both super into like anime before anime was a thing. Like Robotech was always on the TV growing up in our household. So was Voltron. Um, they were both super into comic books. Like, my first comic book convention that I went to, I was five years old and it was literally, oh, my wow. mom was like, well, you can go, but you have to take your sister with you. <laughs> kind of situation. Um, yeah, they were like, damn so, it. Yeah, right, well, it's clock, I guess. You know, but it wasn't, yeah. it wasn't a big deal to them because I was very much the consummate younger sibling that like I wanted to be into whatever they were into. So if they wanted yeah. to watch wrestling, I wanted to watch wrestling. If they were going to read comic books, I wanted to read comic books. And of course it, it resonated differently with me. Like I was way into Jubilee and um right. emma frost and like gene gray and like they got kind of characters that they didn't necessarily care about yeah absolutely yeah <laughs> but it was still the same thing that like if you're if you guys are reading comic books then i read comic books if we're you know playing baseball then i play baseball that kind of situation um and it was very much my mom was very liberal in that she just wanted us to read so she didn't okay. give a shit whether what it, what was. it was yeah just yeah. read books children and that will please me so comic books were not off limits, that kind of, so it was all just a lot of like, I got into it super young because it's just, I wanted to do what my brothers were doing in that kind of situation. 
Yeah. So where did you grow up? Uh, in San Pedro, California. So for okay. those who don't know, most people don't know, San Pedro is a super small uh, suburb of Los Angeles. Um, okay. It's right next door to Long Beach. So like everybody knows where Long Beach is. So San Pedro is yeah. right across the bridge from Long Beach. And it was a very interesting city to grow up in, right? Because I'm like 20 minutes away from L.A. So all of the like LA-ness of LA, like the Hollywood Walk of Fame and the La Brea Tar Pits and like all of that awesome LA stuff I was exposed to and I grew up with it being part of my childhood. Mm-hmm. But San Pedro is also a very small town and it has a super Friday night light feel to it. Okay. So it definitely, I definitely wasn't cool growing up. Like it wasn't cool to be into all this nerd stuff. You know, especially yeah. as a black woman in a town that's yeah. primarily white, I wasn't cool. Just bare yeah. bones, yeah. you know. You have no, all this like you, yeah. football team, that kind of stuff, and that just wasn't my vibe. Yeah, it was very much leaning towards the the mainstream kind of stuff at that point. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, your brothers led you down a, a bad path, at least initially, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I mean it worked out for you, obviously, but. It worked out, and it's really funny that it's so funny that it's called Secret Nerd because I feel like both of my brothers were very much in that secret nerd yeah. situation. You know, uh, my oldest brother was in the drumline in high school, so he was automatically cool because he was like the lead drummer in the drumline. My other brother yeah. was on the football team. So they very much had this dual life of like, you know, buying into the Friday Night Lights situation and being part yeah. of that thing. And then on the side, like, oh, I also draw or like I do this other thing. I was kind of the first one in our family to be like, mm, I'm going to just lean into the nerd shit. Yeah, I um, I, I think I definitely, I was, you know, like your brother, similarly, you know, I, my senior year of high school, I was really good at track and field. I was fast. And I remember just being in weight training and the weight training mm-hmm. teacher was our football coach. And he was like, hey, do you want to be the running back? Like I never tried out for football for that team that I, that, that school, um, I had moved schools my junior year. And I was like, Nah, like the team was trash, and I was like, nah, I don't want to do that. So sorry to anybody who listens that was on that team at that time. But yeah, so I was just like, no, I just wanted to focus on track because that was my main thing. But then at the same time, like I like would go home and I would just read fantasy fiction for hours mm-hmm. and um, play video games, and you know, so I kept that part of my life like separate. And then I had separate groups of friends based on where I was at in the school or what class I was in, and. Yeah, I think a lot of black people talk about like uh, code switching. That was yeah, it's big. It's definitely a form of code switching. It one hundred percent is. And I think, I think as I've gotten older, I've gotten better at the code switching. I definitely think that I was younger. I was in this mindset of like, if you've seen the movie Mean Girls, like Janice Ian is who I was. Like I grew up hanging out with popular girls, and at a certain point, our lives changed. And I no longer was one of the popular girls. And so I just super leaned into being like this weird outcast kind of person. And it's very funny because I went to college. I joined a sorority. Like I did all of that stuff Mm. while still, I didn't think that I was going to get any bids because I went into sorority, like wearing a Marilyn Manson t-shirt and with like fishnet gloves on during recruitment and was like, take me or leave me. I have good grades and I'm fun to be around, but like also... This we might not vibe. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it was a big shift moving uh, when I went to college. Um, similarly, because it was just kind of like, I think code switching caught up to me. And there was a lot yeah. of other things too. But it's just like, why am I trying to please so many people? 
and it kind of just started like, you know, I'm just going to find the people that fit into what I actually like and not have to force myself to put up this front about a bunch of other stuff that I just wasn't interested in. I definitely get that. I think I had not necessarily the opposite reaction, but I had the, I learned through my experience in sorority that I could stay true to myself without being as prickly, you know? Like I definitely, I definitely yeah. was in the Janice Ian thing and was definitely really prickly. And I was kind of like, no, I can be true to myself, but also have friends who aren't interested in the same thing. But that's allowed. That's fair. Yeah. It definitely just takes some maturity, I think, for, for anybody, yeah. you know, and at what point you get to it, it depends on who you are, but, and then you get into like the working world and that's a whole other, like, oh, I actually have to really, okay. I can't yeah. just be fooling myself. I have to <laughs> do some customer service too. And, uh, right? figure all this out so yeah i think that's uh yeah but i mean that was the whole thing you know behind calling it super nerd because that really was is just that that identity that we just bury because yeah we don't want people to judge us or the community around us to treat us a certain way or um you it's, know thankfully it's that hard thing of being a person of color where it's already not cool enough to be a nerd regardless of who right. you are yeah. Right. So like being a nerd is one strike against you. And then you're a person of color. So then you're battling at that too. So it's like, how much of myself do I need to give to the public? Yeah. What was the uh, black population like there where you grew up? Was it like? Um, so the, I actually looked up statistics on this a while ago and I don't have the exact numbers off the top of my head, but the town's primarily 60% white and then okay. 40% everybody else. Gotcha. And I, I think that out of the 40% Black people are half of that in the mm-hmm. town, but it wasn't. I had, like, clearly I had Black friends growing up, and I knew Black people, but there definitely weren't a lot of other Black nerds. Um, yeah. There just, there just weren't enough Black people to have a great sample size of the different, like, <laughs> right. shades of Blackness, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were all getting swept up to play basketball and football, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's the, the one of the shittiest things about, well, not shittiest, it's funny looking back, but realizing that I was a child in this environment is not okay. Right. But our high school, you could lay out the map of our high school and all the different areas were broken up into different zones. And just like in Mean Girls where you're like, oh, this is where the plastic is or whatever. So we would yeah. do all that. And the worst part about it, looking back as, as a grown up, looking back at what children did is that the basketball courts were called Compton because that's where all the black people hung out. Wow. Yeah. That's, <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's real bad. Um, Kids are shitty, you know? Right? Just, yeah. <laughs> they're, just really learning, they're just learning shitty stuff from their shitty parents and their That's shitty true. teachers. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then they just have no filter. So it, it just comes out right? exactly yeah. how they plan on it coming <laughs> no out. No grace. No, absolutely not. Yeah. You know, I think that I can see, I can really see that happening. And it just, it sucks that, that it was that way. I, you know, hopefully it's changed now, you know, around that school and stuff like that. But. But I'm sure even then it's still probably some kind of urban legend and people say it just because it's ironic now or whatever, you know. Oh, I'm sure. I'm not as involved in the high school as I was. I did some volunteering and some mentorship when I originally graduated. Um, I can say that the town itself has gone through phases and just currently with where America is right now, yeah. it's, it's not in the best shape. I've definitely seen way more Trump flags than I would like to when I'm driving it through the hood. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Yeah, that's scary. It's so uh, such a strange, strange world. Even now, like with him oh, gone, yeah. it's still 
you know, not over. It's right. we're dealing with these repercussions of everything. So, so yeah. So you basically follow that path. And then when did you start to yeah. get big into like D and D or any other tabletop RPGs? D and D and tabletop came in within like the last five years or so. And it wasn't for a lack of desire. I, it was because while my mom was liberal, we did grow up very Baptist when I was younger. And okay. so literally everything was going to send us to hell. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like I had to write a strongly worded letter to her to be like, please allow me to read Harry Potter. Oh, Mother, yeah. <laughs> all the other children get to do it. You know, that kind of situation. So it was definitely yeah. a thing where like, and you know, it, it was the, I grew up, or I was born in 88. So my brothers are clearly older than that. So we're definitely writing the hardest satanic panic and all that garbage. Um, yeah. So my Same. mom was not about to be letting us playing Dungeons and Dragons. Um, and it was really right, like right before Stranger Things was right when I started to get into it. And okay. then Stranger Things happened. And I think TTRPG just really blew up because of Stranger Things. Yeah, they uh, they definitely put a big spotlight on it, which is funny because, oh, yeah. like, I mean, their kids are portrayed as like these ultra nerdy kids, you know, playing this game. But everybody's absorbing it as this pop culture thing. And there's like, oh, my God, what's that? You know, or people who push it yeah. off or whatever um, and finally getting into it. And how did you, like, did you go out and just get the stuff yourself or did you try to find somebody that was playing it or? I had a, um, I work for an international retailer. Um, I'm just going to say it. I work at Hot Topic uh, at their okay. headquarters as a buyer. Um, and so one of my coworkers slash friends, she was buying a lot of Dungeons and Dragons product and had all these samples laying around. Oh, nice. And so I literally walked past her desk and, I, and she had a starter kit and I was like, hey, do you need that sample later? Like when you're done with that, can I put my name on it? And she was like, I have like seven of them. Just take one right now. <laughs> nice. Um, and so I took the starter set off of her desk and I posted something online about like how my friend had just gifted me the starter set and I was so hyped to get into it. And when I posted that, a bunch of my other friends came out of the woodwork and they were like, I already play and I'm looking for other people to play. Or they were like, I want to learn how, blah, blah. And so just a friend network of people who were like, either I'm into it or I want to learn this. We all just kind of, figured our schedules out, figured our lives out and started getting together to play. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, you're hard to pass that kind of an opportunity up for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and that was uh fifth edition. Yeah. D and D. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, awesome. So yeah. And then is that the, so the first group you started playing with, was that the group you play with now on stream or was it different folks? It was not, it was different folks. This, uh, the first group that I really started playing with, um, is one of my best friends, Molly, and she and I create content together. Um, okay. she's also a partner at the Q Times channel. Um, but that, the group with her was the group that I really started to play in more often and feel more at home, mm -hmm. um, with 5e. And the group that I stream with, it all came about as a joke, honestly. I, um, <laughs> I've been listening to the Dungeon. I had been listening to Dungeon and Daddies that podcast with Anthony okay. Birch, who I I owe him a bouquet of flowers or a Starbucks <laughs> card or something because I definitely ripped off a few of his ideas. No cap there. That's that's just the truth. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was listening to Dungeon and Daddies really heavily, and and um, you know, I've been playing for a while, and I was watching Ianlo with my mom. Who, if you don't watch Ianlo, fix my life. I highly recommend it. It's one of my favorite reality TV shows. <laughs> uh Jan Levansant was um she's like a lawyer and she's she's had a lot of different careers and she worked with Oprah and like released some self-help novels mm -hmm. and then like her life fell on hard times so she fell off she built herself back up so now she has this show it's called Jan Le Fix My Life where she literally just goes 
two people who are having like messy life interactions or like messiness with their families and like literally spends a week with them trying to fix their life. Okay. He's like Marie Kondo and people's emotions. It's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I was watching this episode of Ayanla Fix My Life with my mom and she fixes this person's life. And at the end of the episode, it's a, it was a young black man. And she goes, don't go out here and make us all look bad. Don't embarrass us now after I fix <laughs> you. And I started cracking up and I looked at my mom, who's not, she's not super into t- tabletop, but because of, you know, osmosis, she knows enough about it. Yeah. And I looked at her and I was like, that would be a really funny, like D&D homebrew mechanic. If like an ancestor or an elder could cast, like, don't go out here and embarrass me on you. And it would give you advantage on your role. Yeah. <laughs> And my mom was like, I don't know enough about this, but that sounds funny. And I feel like you're on to something. Yeah. So then later that night, I go over to Molly's house and we're getting the ready to go out. And I tell her this thing. And I was because me at that point, me and my mom start riffing about different things in black culture that you could turn into D&D spells. Yeah. So I'm replaying this conversation to my friend Molly, who is not a woman of color. She's white. And I'm and we're just riffing. I'm telling her about a young one. This whole conversation my mom had and how funny it was. And Molly kind of stops and looks at me and she goes, no, this is a thing. Like you're, you're onto a thing. And I was like, no, me and my mom were just fucking in the living room riffing. Like, this isn't, it's not serious. And Molly was yeah. like, no, it, this is really like, you're, you're on to an idea. You just don't know it yet. Yeah. And, and she and I started talking about the lack of representation in tabletop and, and kind of what this idea could possibly turn into. And like, literally at that moment, she's like, I'm texting Jake right now. Who's our producer at two times. And I was like, Jake doesn't, he doesn't know me. Like he's talking about me at your house. Like he's not going to give me a show. And she texts Jake and she's like, hey, Jordan just had this idea. She wants to run an all-black game, built on black culture. It's going to be fantastic. Give her a time slot. <laughs> and like just elevator pitched through text message. And Jake was like, no, this actually is, it's a great idea. Q Times is all about diversity and inclusion. And we're definitely lacking, you yeah. know, in, in part of our mission. We don't have enough black players in our cast. Like when she's ready, I'm ready to give her a slot. Yeah. Um, and it took me about a year and a half to feel ready. I had never GM'd at that point. I hadn't okay. written a homebrew campaign. Like there are nine million firsts included in doing this. Right. Yeah. But it was just one of those things where I felt the more that Molly and I talked about it, the more that I realized that she was right. There's such a lack of inclusion in the nerd space in general. And then when you dial it yeah. down to these little subgenres of anime or tabletop or whatever the subgenre is, it the numbers get even smaller. Mm-hmm. And so I knew that she was right, that there was a lack of inclusion in tabletop. And I felt like I had a moment where I felt like I wasn't the right, per- even though it was my idea, I felt like I wasn't the right person. And I talked to a couple of other friends who played and they said, it doesn't matter who've never GM'd. This is your idea. This is your baby. You are the right person. Like you just got to suck it up and do it. Yeah, no, I think that's awesome. I mean, it's true. Like it, it really just about jumping out there and trying it because you know, like you said, it's it's your idea. You want to play, and that's the hardest thing. A lot of times is that you know we get in this like, oh, I want to try D and D, but I don't want to go to the step of being the DM. And yeah. then you're trying to find somebody to do it for you, and everybody's like, oh, I already run a game and it's full. But yeah. Blah, blah. And so it's like you know you can either wait or you can just take care of it. Yeah. So I think that's awesome that they gave you that platform. I previously was only familiar with Q times because of. Uh, Court of Corvids and the uh... so Molly is she's that's Court of Corvids. Molly is the Molly from Court of Corvids. Oh, okay, okay, wow, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and it's been a while since I listened to their to their show, but it, it was 
right around Christmas, I got the first Pathfinder second edition books and I was trying to watch mm. YouTube videos to try to learn um, the system. Cause I, it makes it a little bit easier for me to pick it up. Okay. I, I forget okay. their names. I tell but... everybody who, there are a ton of people who ask me like, Oh, how'd you get into it? Or how do you learn? There's so many rules. And I'm like, dude, just listen to some podcasts, go on YouTube, go to yeah. podcasts and just listen to some other people play and you'll figure it out. Yeah. And initially when I was coming up with this idea for this podcast, my friend was like, you should just, you know, tell people to send in like questions and you can give them GM advice. And I'm like, I mean, I'm fine giving advice, but I don't feel like an expert. You know what I mean? Like if somebody yeah. asks me, I'll tell them what I think, but I don't feel like an expert. So I never wanted to. And there's so many good people out there already doing it. Like mm-hmm. it just seemed like I can point you in a direction that I feel comfortable. The information is going to give you what you need but I don't feel like an expert. So what I wanted to do is just kind of, all right, let me just create a space at least where people can tell stories. And so we can share it with other friends and be yeah. like, look, you feel like X, Y, and Z doesn't play tabletop. Like here's an interview with somebody that plays it and this is why they love it and et cetera. So, but, so you met them through Molly. So you guys were already friends previous to her making stuff there or how did that work out? Yeah, Molly and I just, uh, it's just an LA thing, you know, just being goofy, nerdy goth girls. Um, there, it's funny because there are a few different people who take credit for introducing us. <laughs> and we just like kind of let them have it. And we're like, yeah, sure, you introduce us. Okay, great. Yeah, fine. Okay. And we, yeah. she and I are both in the mindset that like, you know, nerdy ass goth girls in LA, we would have, we would have crossed paths. We would have crossed paths eventually. Yeah. Um, and that's just kind of happened. We're just both goofy, nerdy goth girls. We went to a lot of the same events and a lot of the same clubs or whatever. Um, and so we ended up crossing paths that way. So that's how I got hooked up with Q Times. My cast actually comes from um, just a lot of different networking. And I'm, I'm very grateful and very blessed. Um, Moses in my cast is a coworker mm-hmm. of mine. Yeah. Okay. Who we just we met at work and we just shoot the shit about both being you know black nerds and playing tabletop and that kind of thing and so when i had the idea he was one of the first people that i was kind of like i'm gonna i know that moses knows how to play so i'm just gonna see if he's into this idea and he was and he's like yeah for sure whatever um dk who's a part of our cast i was introduced Mm -hmm. through other friends i just posted that i was looking for black tabletop players and sight unseen you know they said I have no clue who you are, but the fact that you want to do an all black D and D game placed on black culture, I am in for this. Nice. Um, and they've now become a very good friend of mine. Jeff was introduced to me through Molly. Jeff and I actually met at a star Wars screening. We all went to go see um, rise of Skywalker together. Nice. That's <laughs> and Jeff awesome. and I met that night. And so we kind of clicked that night. And then later when I was putting the game together, Molly reached out and was like, Hey, you met my friend at rise of Skywalker. You know, do you want to play in her game? And Jeff was down. And then Kiki is a friend from college, actually. She and I were in the same sorority. So she and I have been ride or die for fucking 15 years at this point, which is too many to say out loud. But. Yeah. And you guys have, a, you and Kiki have a separate show together. Is that correct? Yeah. Kiki and I do have a separate show together. We do work on um, a channel called Smells Like Teen Angst. And that's not, it is nerd culture, but it's not. We kind of lean more into like pop culture, teen, young yeah. adult stuff. Um, and all of that started Kiki's roommate, Sarah, who is a good friend of both of us, clearly. Um, we were all in quarantine and we were kind of talking about books and, and movies and that kind of thing. And Sarah texted me one day and she was like, yo, do you want to reread Twilight and record a podcast about it? Right. I think this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard of, but also what else am I doing? I'm stuck mm. in my house. 
I'm not working. I can't yeah. say that I don't have the time to do this. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's funny. So the three of us started rereading Twilight and recording a podcast about that. And we've now built a whole channel around it. Um, and we just talk about teen focused or young adult focused pop culture. So we do a Riverdale show. Um, there's a Gossip Girl one on that channel. There's one about Outer Banks, space, uh, Sabrina, basically anything that falls into that young adult umbrella. Someone from yeah. our channel is covering it in some capacity. So you found all these people online and then kind of, did you meet, like have some session, like some yeah. test sessions before you guys played or? Um, we didn't have a traditional session zero where we get together and we played a, a, like a test game or a, a prelude to our adventure or anything like that. But we did get together just to talk. This was okay. all like, this is all the heart of quarantine, like pre-vaccine, pre any of this. This was back in November, December. Um, because we were actually supposed to launch in November, we ended up pushing it just because there was so much going on with the election yeah. that Q time was pushing or canceling streams because they wanted people to be available to watch election coverage and not have to worry about, well, I want to see election coverage, but I also want to watch Court of Corbett or you know, whatever yeah. else. Yeah. Um, and then they always take a holiday break as well. And so it was my decision as the GM to say, instead of debuting in November, which is when we should have, to push it until February. Um, and I chose February just because, you know, Black History Month, Black people, it's, it's all that synergy yeah. situation. Yeah. Um, but we met a couple of times. We met a couple of times between November and February just to hang out on Zoom and talk to each other and see what we were comfortable with at the table. I, as a GM, I don't necessarily think that you need to have a traditional session zero where you're sitting there and you're rolling dice and you're going through an adventure. But I do think yeah. it's important to sit down as a group and say, this is what I want out of this game and like set goals as a team. Because yeah. I think that's the thing that a lot of people can forget when you're playing D&D that like it's a team sport. The GM and yeah. the players are all on the same side and you're all working towards the goals together. And you need to figure out how to do that in a way that everyone is comfortable with what's going on. Yeah, for sure. I think um, it definitely helps to to have those conversations, uh, especially if, with people that you don't know. Because like you said, it's kind of like, yeah. all right, well, let's get a vibe check. Let's see, you know, maybe we're very different about certain things and, and you know, maybe you're not okay with certain things or whatever it is. So having that kind yeah. of safety and trust built up before you start to play and make a mistake. Um, it's important, you know, or to let people know like, Hey, if I make a mistake, I'm, I'll make it right. Like, don't just think that yeah, I'm one, an asshole or whatever. 100%. And I do, I think I got lucky with it being a game with all black players and it being based in black culture yes. that we immediately had a kinship and a safety. Ooh, pardon me. We had a kinship and a safety with one another because we're all black and it is an all black game. And we knew that that was our goal to tell a very specifically black story. And so we went into it with a certain level of trust because of that. I have played in other games and in other streams where doing a session zero was important just because we don't have that cultural similarity, you know? Yeah. And so mm -hmm. like, and the one thing that I, I definitely think of is that, you know, it, if you've watched our stream, which you have, we're all jokesters, like, right? And I think that's the thing in black culture, like yeah. gallows humor is just a black culture thing. We're always going to crack yeah. a little jokey joke. And that's totally fine within this cast because it's very culturally appropriate. A different stream that right. I'm on, we are mixed ethnicity, mixed gender roles, mixed all those different things. And um, that game's a little bit more serious, which is one of those things. I'm glad that we didn't play a session zero 
because not everybody appreciated my little joke. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, you gotta you gotta definitely test that out and know know what you're doing. Yeah, yeah. But I, you know, when I first watched it, I I uh, I loved it. Just it was so funny, you know, some of the things and uh, like you said, the references and um, you know, for me personally, because I grew up with my mom who was white or who is white, and uh, mm-hmm. um, I didn't grow up around a lot of black people, so a lot of black culture I didn't really get exposed to until I was probably like. 16 really when I moved to the bigger city. Um, and then when I moved to Kentucky, there was some of that there too, but, but yeah, I mean, it's just like so much stuff that it sucks when you're not around it. You know what I mean? And that's obviously why we talk so much about representation, inclusion, diversity, because you can see how much you can miss out on, um, very Mm -hmm. easily without having some of that stuff there and, you know, be a person who identifies as a specific culture and have no idea about, um, cultural references that you're supposed to know, you know, yeah. quote unquote, supposed to know. Yeah. I think that's really I cool. Um, I definitely get ahead. that. I think for me, it's, it's been a reclamation of culture, right? Yeah. Because I grew up, like I said, in a predominantly white town, we did go to a very black church. My parents are, well, I was raised by my mom. My mom is, my mom is mixed, but like she identifies as black. You know, it's one of those things where like all yeah. black people yeah, are mixed sure. to an extent because of the diaspora. <laughs> Um, but she identifies as black. So I very much grew up in black culture, but growing up in a town that's 60% white, there's, there's anti-blackness that's going to be there. Right. And Mm -hmm. I can say that I, I internalized a lot of, of internal racism and anti-blackness. And I think in my early twenties, I got to a place where I was able to reclaim my culture and really sit back and like, there's an interview that Zoe Kravitz gave, uh, I think in Nylon. I don't remember the exact magazine it was, but myself and my best friend from high school, who's a gay black man, we both read it at the same time. And we both called each other and we're like, hey, did you read that Zoe Kravitz article? <laughs> our just like galaxy brain at yeah. that moment. Because she said a lot about, you know, growing up in a predominantly white town, being, you know, blacker or biracial, and then going through this moment in your early 20s, which he and I were both having, where you're listening to a tribe called Quest you're listening to Ella Fitzgerald, you're going back and you're watching do the right thing. Like you're, you're going back and experiencing all these black things that you grew up with and took for granted. And you're realizing that our culture is so rich and so dope and becoming so proud of it and really just decolonizing yourself. And so I definitely think that in the, I would say from like 22 to 27, I did a massive decolonization of myself. Yeah. And I'm now at a place where I'm like reclaiming and celebrating my culture. And that's one of the things that was so important to me to take what started out as a joke. Right. And like actually do this for real. Cause like, I love being black and yeah. I don't really give it who doesn't, who doesn't care about that. Who doesn't recognize that. Who doesn't want to honor that. Like for me, I love being a black person. I love black culture. I love our jokes and our music and everything else. And like, I want to share that with other people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, uh, you know, a similar thing, definitely, of just kind of realizing what's all around you, you know what I mean? And when I was pretty yeah. lucky in college, I, uh, I back then I was doing a lot of poetry and writing and I actually got to do a independent study with uh, a black poet named Nikki Finney. And it was incredible, like yeah. amazing best semester of my life I was just because I you know it was just her and I like she just giving me advice and pushing me to to be better and you know 
checking me on some of that stuff of, of whether it was internalized racism or just being ignorant about certain things. Um, mm-hmm. At the same time, I took a jazz history class led by a black professor, another, like it was just, so all these really amazing experiences and then dealing with super racist assholes in the South uh, at the same time. So uh, <laughs> kind of a weird, yeah, but, it, so, but it, but it really, it lets you help you. It, I don't want to say help me, but it definitely um, showed me that, you know, I think a lot of people, whether they identify one way or another, for me, it was always like, well, this is how I'm seen. I'm happy identifying as black. So I don't even, most of the time I just say I'm black. Like I don't go through the whole multiracial. Right. I don't blah, need blah, to blah, explain blah. to people yeah. this fucking <laughs> yeah. DNA. I'm not yeah. giving you my 23 me. You don't need to know this. Right. Yeah. Um, but you know, but it's, that's how I present, you know, yeah. and my son is lighter and he might not present when he's older, he might not present as black, you know? It might be a Patrick Mahomes situation where you're like, are you? I don't know. <laughs> a whole um, situation where you're like, <laughs> um, But yeah, so it's just, it's one of those things. And so for me, um, and I actually saw on Twitter, uh, somebody was like, I'm sorry, honey, if you pass as white, then you're white. And, and uh, I was like, dang, that's it's cold. But it's probably true because you're still taking the benefit of whatever it is that you're saying. Right? Or Sure. It's a yeah. hard situation. Like I brought up Halsey because I love her as a fan, but she's had a lot of like crazy situations where because she's white presenting, you mm-hmm. know, people say things to her or react to her in certain ways or things that she says are taken the wrong way where it's like, well, yeah, she has a black father, but like, look at her. You yeah. wouldn't know if, if she didn't tell you. Or logic. You know, that was one that I was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> well, logic shocked the shit out of me. Logic yeah. just it blew my mind, but I was like, you need, I, I had to check myself because I'm like, you have cousins, you know what yeah, this is like. Yeah, oh, for yeah. sure. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it's just that the thing, I mean, we're, we, we're so programmed, like you said, you, you have to check yourself because we're so programmed to think a certain yeah. way, whether we, or not, like, that's not how I really feel, but I've been yeah. reinforced and reinforced and reinforced over and over and over to react this way initially. Mm-hmm. Whether we grow out of that is up to us. And some people don't, but, but yeah, it sucks that it just kind of gets forced, you know, in that direction. So I, I do have a question because one thing that I've noticed as I've been looking for people to talk to and doing this is that finding black men that play TTRPGs is mm-hmm. very hard. Like, I, I mean, there's a lot of diversity, not a lot, but there's, it's easier to find. I can find, you know, of the ABC thing of whatever diversity checkbox you want to fill in. I can find it, but finding black men that play TTRPGs has been pretty few and far between. And I've talked to some of them and, and I'm working on stuff with that, but, um, you know, finding, I know you found Moses at work, but like Jeff, or did you hear from other people at all? Um, it's, it's funny that you said that because when you said finding black men who can play and why, you know, you do your mental Rolodex thing. Mm -hmm. And at first I only thought of one B Dave Walters. And then I had to take a second and I was like, no, there's critical bard. There's Prince from Roland D's 20s. Um, so there there are a handful, but if you were to ask me like black women who mm-hmm. play TTRPG, I, like that list to me comes a lot faster and it's way larger than three. Um, yeah. And I think that I, I, I got lucky with Jeff, right? Because I had that personal connection where I had, you know, we had mutual friends right. all of yeah. um, and Moses I knew personally. And I definitely did want the cast to be balanced um, 
I don't necessarily want to say gender wise because we do have non-binary members of our cast, but I wanted yeah. uh, a, a birth of representation, you know, non-binary, mm-hmm. cisgender, that kind of situation. I didn't want it to be all black ladies because that then becomes a different thing on its own. Right. Right. Um, yeah. I, I think that, I think the lack of men in the, t- the lack of black men in the TTRPG scene isn't for lack of trying. I just, I think it's an unfortunate black culture thing where we definitely have an idea of what a black man is and can do. Um, And I think this is really evidenced by someone that I'm a huge fan of and who's been in the news again this week, Lil Nas X, where Mm -hmm. Lil Nas X is just trying to live his life and make art that speaks to his life and his story. And it's always a thing. It's always a thing to either his benefit or his detriment you know there's the benefit of like all publicity is good publicity right but there's the detriment of like how is this affecting his mental health you know like how is this fair to him how is this fair to other queer black men who just want to exist yeah and i think that black culture has a reckoning that we have to deal with that is not it's not specifically homophobic right and it's not specifically uh misandrist i think it's very much rooted in anglo christian culture which unfortunately Mm -hmm. has a huge grip on the black community there are so many things in the black community that stem from this anglo christian protestant bullshit from lack of better words and i don't want to offend anybody you believe what you believe however in america Christianity has this thing that isn't necessarily what the religion means or should be. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Affecting people negatively. Yeah. No, I definitely uh I definitely see what you're saying. I think that definitely plays a big part of it. And I think the uh, opposite side of it is, you know, that I mean think about like hood culture and like, you know, like hey, I'm sorry, yeah. but that's like whatever you're doing xyz that's not gangster so it's like don't do it exactly and it's um, like well i don't want to get fucked up by my friends so i guess i just won't do this thing (laughs) or i won't talk about it is it it little uzi vert who is it it's one of the rappers they just came out with like a a male nail polish line which is i mean nail polish doesn't have a gender whatever but they're doing their thing right like they're trying to make it more acceptable and i applaud them and there's been so much pushback about it and i'm like how does painting nails make a man less of a man yeah i don't if he is still going out if he is paying his bills taking care of his kids like who gives a shit if his nails are painted how would that make him less of a man (laughs) yeah yeah and yeah for sure and so just before i answer like talk about that like to clarify i'm not obviously not generalizing and saying that that's all how it is um we're just speaking in you know in relative terms yeah but, speaking, um, speaking in relative in generalities there's a yeah. thing in black culture where men are very our men don't necessarily get to live their full lives is yeah. the best way that i can put it because it's so much there's a chart right like there's a chart a, a black man does x y and z and you've yeah. got to fill in those little boxes and anything outside of those boxes is questionable or sus right i i think it's just very it's hard and I, I feel for men because they should be allowed to have the breadth of experiences that anyone is able to. You know, a, a woman, um, a non-binary person, 
and I'm trying to pick my words very carefully. All <laughs> people should be allowed to have a breath of experiences and, and do the things that bring them joy and fulfillment. And it's just unfortunate that in the Western American society, so many marginalized people are not allowed that. Yeah. You know, and and a huge thing that I think about a lot is the hashtag black boy joy because like our 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 boys and our men need to be able to experience joy, whatever that means to them. If it means football, if it means being superhood, if it means playing tabletop, whatever that is, they need to be able to experience that joy. And and marginalized people as a whole, we just we don't get to have that. We don't get to have joy. Yeah. It, you know, and I thought like we we have to grind and we have to survive. Survival is our primary instinct. Well, yeah, for sure. And I think too, especially when you start to get into, you know, the workforce, depending on where you go with that, like it's already you're facing obstacle one of being a black man. So then you're like, all right, I gotta put on this presentation so that I'm not considered an angry black man. I'm not intimidating people. I'm not <laughs> blah, 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 blah. But I also have to work harder. And now I can't be weird because that's going to be obstacle number two uh, that somebody's going to yep. have to get past. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, it's the same like growing up, my mom was great. Like she was incredible. And she always encouraged me to just do whatever made me happy. And so I did, you know, I, you know, music, poetry, reading. I was always myself, but going out into public spaces and talking about that was always a very mixed bag. And it just felt not dangerous in the sense of like life-threatening, but it always felt like I wasn't allowed to express any kind of vulnerability at all. Um, mm -hmm. And now I'm a father and I am super vulnerable. Um, and yeah, so I watch a bunch of TV shows that just yeah. make me cry. And I'm just like, oh, this is... Right? <laughs> All these like kid shows yeah. with these in in you know uh, really intense emotional scenes at the end. I'm like, you guys are just not even paying attention. This is good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, you know. But now, of course, I'm lucky because I, you know, I'm married. I have kids. I'm set. Like I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about me for the most part. So really, it doesn't matter. Like if you don't like me, then move on. But getting to that point was not an easy road, to be sure. Oh. Absolutely not. And I, the joke that I say all the time is that, you know, I'm 33 years old. It took me 25 years to learn how to love myself. I don't have that kind of time to convince anybody else. So like either you are with it or you're not because I yeah. got 25 years to convince you. <laughs> yeah, that is absolutely true. It's uh, you really have to, you know, find it, you know what I mean? But it's, yeah. it's not something that's easy. I remember, you know, having a friend in college that she was uh, black and Japanese, if I remember correctly. And her parents very much were like, you're going to be a doctor. And she did not want to be a doctor. Um, and so as we just continued to talk and stuff, like she expressed that to me, I was very cavalier in college. I was like, fuck, I'm like, just do what you want to do. But I had a lot of conversations with her and other friends of just like, look, it's hard enough just making it through this stressful experience. If you're not happy because yeah. of where you're going or where you're going to end up, you're just going to make it worse. And I, I dealt with that personally. Um, and I talked to her about that. I was like, I mean, I know it's hard and you don't want to let your parents down, but I don't want you to be a doctor and hate what you're doing and then have a miserable life. And I, it was like the next yeah. year she had changed her major. And um, I don't know, I'm not going to take all the credit for that, but you know, 
she she kind of turned yeah. it around and just like I think it's important for people to realize like whatever it is that you want to pursue, pursue it. Um, you know, pay your bills, of course, figure that out, but find a way to get there. Yeah, I very similarly get that. When I was in high school, you know, I was very much into and I still am, the emo music, the goth music, like my chemical romance yeah, and sure. and and depression mode and like all that was my thing. And because combine that with like high fantasy novels. Mm-hmm the majority of my friends were not people of color. Yeah. And same. I remember there was this girl who came up to me one day. She's a black girl. And I knew her from middle school. Like, St. Peter's a small town. Clearly, we know everyone. We grew up with them. Yeah. And this girl comes up to me one day and she goes, I just want to ask you a question. And I'm like, what are you even doing where the emo kids hang out? But okay. Yeah, and she goes, do you have any, right? She goes, she goes, do you have any black friends? I looked at her and like, I didn't know what to say. So I just said like, yeah like y'all see me hanging out with bryant every day like yeah he's also black and she was kind of like well he's gay so it doesn't count i'm like what What? (laughs) how are you gonna disqualify his his blackness (laughs) (laughs) right it was just a very weird experience that i've clearly carried with me for all these years and and i went home and of course i told my brothers about it i told my mom about it and and it was kind of the topic of conversation at dinner that week and and the takeaway was is that I can trade these things that I truly enjoy, right? Like high fantasy and MCR and taking back Sunday and these things that I just truly find joy in mm-hmm. and trade them in for black friends <laughs> <laughs> or, and like be miserable. Cause I'm not doing things that I enjoy, but like I have black friends, like be happy about having black friends right? or I can like quote unquote, not have black friends, even though I did and enjoy these things that are quote unquote, not black. Like at, at some point you're going to be trading in, you're gonna it's gonna be a trade-off like which one do you take and for me the trade-off was like genuine joy whether or not people understand that whether or not they accept it i'm going to take the genuine joy and deal with the other stuff later yeah i agree i mean for sure like early high school my favorite band was afi um and quickly became <laughs> brand new. I, I loved Davey I Havoc. Loved AFI. I I am no longer an AFI fan for Same. a reason. You and I can talk about this. Um when we break the call, I don't want to Yeah, no, I got put you. some personal stuff on blast, but we can Yeah, I feel you. Yeah. AFI was they hit hard in the early two thousands. Yeah. And then it kind of just lost it. Um it, I have a hard time yeah, with a lot was. of these bands that it's like Okay, you're you're in your late 30s, early 40s now, and you're still singing about like teen angst. I just I don't think right we're relating anymore. Yeah. <laughs> right, there's some bands where it's hard for me to relate to, and it's it's doubly funny, you know, talking about going back to black culture and and before we actually started recording this evening, I was listening to Tracy Chapman. Yeah. Was like, oh yeah. Tracy Chapman she's black right like an alternative black person but she'd be talking about real shit that like as at a 30 year old i'm like whoo tracy tracy be yeah. dropping that knowledge <laughs> yeah oh man fast car such a good right Ooh. yeah in the fields every time i know i know yeah but there's a, a a lot of that um same thing i mean especially with music music is like that's my language you know yeah. um same. and i i love singing and um i don't play as much as i used to but same it's just like but that's i want to be consumed like when i'm not having to deal with anything else like put some music on yep and sometimes i i you know there's a that part of me it's just like i'm you know maybe you enjoy sam smith too much or adele too much and why aren't you listening to other 
artists that are black or whatever. And I'm like, but it's just good music. Like, I don't want to yeah. hate myself for liking good music. You know what I mean? And, right. um, and hip hop, I'm, I have a difficult relationship with a lot of hip hop, but like I'll listen to J Cole and Tupac and I'm just like, that's fine with me. <laughs> Those two. And then I, I can I, slightly branch out after that. I do. And I don't have a hard relationship with hip hop. And I hate saying this now, like my, you know, I grew up with, with siblings, you know, older mm, black siblings. Yeah. And so there was a lot of, um, Oh goodness. One of my cousins actually married to a member of Bum Thugs, right? Oh, so wow. there was, yeah, right. Like, so there was a lot of, there was a lot of hip hop in my upbringing and like Tupac and Bone Thugs and, and that kind of situation. And I got out of it and I am now, I have a little bit of shame of saying the artist that got me back into hip hop was Kanye, right? Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> and even so last night I was listening to College Dropout again and like, I'm sorry, whatever Kanye has done is what Kanye has done, but you cannot deny the brilliance that is College Dropout as an album. That album that, is, yeah. For that sure. album fucking slaps, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Kanye got me back into hip-hop, and I definitely, as someone who works at Hot Topic and has to be aware of Gen Z and what they're doing, like, I listen to Lil Uzi Vert, I listen to Juice World, and I I do love this younger Gen Z rapper for what they represent. I'm not certain that I love the music, yeah. but I love this younger Gen Z rapper who is living their truth. Yeah. who is very emo and very vulnerable, um, who's not all about the hyped up masculinity and, and doing something different. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I do think that hip hop as a genre has gotten very superficial yeah. and it's not their fault. I don't blame them. Um, as a fan of music, I think that the origins of punk and the origins of hip hop were very similar, where yeah. it was a lot of disenfranchised youth just singing about being disenfranchised and being upset. And I love that both or both genres lost their steam from their origins when the record labels came in and said, we can make money off of this. Yeah. Um, absolutely. And so I see that and I recognize it and I honor it. That being said, like at the end of the day, if it comes down to like, you're going to listen to MCR again, you're going to put on this J Cole record, probably going to pick MCR. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, and I understand too, like, Tupac and J. Cole probably have some problematic things, but like um, Oh, for sure. What music doesn't though is my next yeah. thing. When anybody gets on their high horse about hip hop being problematic, I should tell them, like, go back and listen to early Guns N' Roses. Go and listen. Oh, like yeah. listen to any of these white artists. When you critique that are lobbed at hip hop when they're like, it's all about sex and big booty bitches and drugs. I'm like, listen to fucking rock and roll. It's all the yeah. same thing. You know, yeah. listen to pop pop country. Uh, country pop and hip hop are very much the same genre because it's all about your whip, aka your tractor, mm-hmm. your lean, aka your beer. Like it's all the same. <laughs> it's all the same. Yeah, that's true. And now they're doing hip hop country, so uh, yeah, right? there's that. Um, but yeah, but I mean, one of those things. Like, I definitely, and I think I realized it more listening to. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Arian Foster, uh, used to be a Houston Texans running back. Um, He's a very smart man and he had a podcast for a while, um, but he talked about that too, of just like the impact that Tupac had on his life. And even though I didn't grow up around or in a black community, like I still grew up poor. I still was exposed to people that were doing bad things. I was never in gangs, but I was exposed to people who were in gangs. I was either shot at or guns pointed at me. I was you know, exposed to a lot of very violent stuff. And so listening to somebody talk about that 
and be vulnerable about that in an age when gangster rap was like huge and, you know, songs like changes and um, songs about his mom. And so like that has always been impactful for me. So there's some songs that I'm like, ah, I yeah. don't fuck with this song, but there's other ones that I'm like, okay, yeah, like I could listen to this song all day, any day. Um, and yeah. then similar to J Cole of just, you know, like he is who he is and you know, he figured out a way to make his life better and, but he still tries to take care of the people in his community. Cause you know, that's, you know, like, yeah. And I, I think that's why like college dropout was the album that got me back into hip hop because it was very relatable for me at the time. Like yeah. uh, college dropout came out, what, 2005 ish. I think so. so yeah. Just, Something like that. Yeah. I was just applying to go to colleges and that kind of situation. And like, yeah, learning we're the same how age. to code switch, learning about college, like learning, you know, like all these things that Kanye was thinking about was very relatable. And like, I love 808s and Heartbreaks because like I was going through a shitty breakup at the time. So like yeah. that album was really, <laughs> I was at the streetlight, like, let me know, let <laughs> me know. <laughs> but I definitely think that like there there was a point where, where Kanye just stopped being relatable because of what he was going through in his yeah. life. The well, same way that we none of us are, AFI. are God. So right? how do we relate to Kanye yeah. at that point? How do we relate? Like, <laughs> AFI went to a point where it stopped being relatable because I was like, bruh, I got bills. I got yeah. bills. I don't care about your teenage bullshit. I am paying my bills. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's funny how all of those things change. And I even there's some stuff I try to go back and listen to now. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is too, it's too weird. Like, I don't even know how I enjoyed it in the first place. <laughs> a thing that I've been talking about a lot recently is the Olivia Rodrigo album. And a lot of my friends have asked me about it because they know that I've listened to it. And I'm like, I really enjoy it. It will take you back to being like 13 and having your first heartbreak and the first time you experience these things. And you can enjoy it from a nostalgia factor. And I'm glad that there's a young girl like keeping this alive. Yeah. But also we're in our thirties y'all. It ain't going to slap the same for us. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, I mean, as catchy as the song driver's license is, it's funny to be 33 and say, I just got my driver's license. Like, right, yeah. <laughs> but that's one, th speaking of that song, um, I still love like punk covers of songs. I think yes, when they're absolutely. done right. And there's some, some decent ones of, of driver's license. Yeah. Yeah. There's some yeah. decent ones of that song. So that's actually, I think, I, I heard a cover of the song. I had never heard the original first and I heard a cover and I was like, Oh, this is cool. And then figured out what it was. But yeah, it was, I loved the song cause it did take me back to like my first boyfriend when I was first learning how to drive. And like, he helped me learn how to go in reverse. <laughs> <laughs> cause in Los Angeles, you don't have to go in reverse to pass the driver's license test. So I passed without doing that. And I was like, bruh, I passed the test, but I don't know how to reverse. Yeah. <laughs> he taught me and like it, it, brought, it took me back to that but then i was like i'm also 30 i haven't talked to this guy in 10 years why do i care so much about this song yeah for sure that's funny but yeah so um kind of just to bring it back uh, a little bit uh because i could talk about music forever um, yeah sorry <laughs> no you're fine absolutely fine yeah so with your guys's stream you're kind of doing not to give people like spoilers but you're kind of switching game systems yeah. after a little bit right yeah. it's like seasonal what uh what kind of brought you to do that it was kind of a thing where so originally the whole show was conceived in my brain as a one-off so i thought that we were going to do one season like 10 episodes a max of this adventure that i had written this homebrew campaign in D D 5e um and as we got deeper into it everybody was just having so much fun mm -hmm. 
And so I asked my cast in the green room before we went live, like, I think we did eight episodes last season. So I think on like episode five or six, I asked them, I was like, hey, like we're, we're starting to wrap things up. We're going to get to the end pretty soon. Do you guys want to keep going? Like, do you want to do something else? And the cast was all in and they wanted to do something else. Um, and so then I also asked our audience, you know, that same night, I pitched the question to them, like, hey, do you want to see a season two of us doing something? I don't know what that is yet, but like we've talked about it as a cast. We're interested. If you guys want to keep watching, we'll do something. Yeah. Um, and our viewership and chat was like, yeah, yeah, you know, we want to, we love you guys. We want to see more. And I'm a huge nerd. I'm a huge TTRPG nerd. And the second thing is being at home during quarantine, <laughs> I purchased so many different game systems. Yeah. <laughs> I got, I got like every D&D book possible because I was just at home and I was writing this homebrew before, like before quarantine hit hard, mm-hmm. you know, I was doing all this stuff. So I had like all the D&D books for five years. Then quarantine happened, and I was like, I'm going to get some Pathfinder books, because I got asked to be in a one-shot, in a Pathfinder one-shot, so I bought Pathfinder. I was like, I want to get kids on bikes, because that seems fun, like Stranger Things, so I bought that. Like, I was just buying literally every Kickstarter, like, I got Babes in the Woods, I bought the My Little Pony one, like, anything <laughs> that could keep me busy during quarantine, I was just buying it, because yeah. I didn't need to fill up my car with gas, I had extra money laying around, so I was <laughs> yeah. just buying I was just buying all these different books. And so I asked my cast, I was like, Hey, we can, you know, we can keep doing 5e or like we can do something else. Like these are all the different books I have. Like, what do you want to do? And I personally wanted to do call of Cthulhu, but my cast was really like, we want to do kids on brooms. Like we love Harry Potter. We love magic. We want to do kids on brooms. Um, And so I, we also threw that at the audience and they were like, Hey, whatever you guys want to do, we're going to watch it. So we, as a cast decided to jump to kids on brooms. And when that decision was made, Cheeky asked very pointedly, she was like, are we going to be playing new characters? Because I love my character. I don't want to leave <laughs> Buffy behind. I love Buffy. Can I keep playing Buffy? And so that kind of just became a question with the cast. Like, do we want to keep the same characters or do we want to, we're switching systems. We could do an all new story, all new characters. They all eventually came to, we love our characters. We want to keep these characters. Yeah. Um, and so for me as a writer, it just became a writing challenge. How can I write to these characters into a new system and I kind of had a few like ideas rolling around in my brain and I called my older brother Brian uh who you know he's my brother we're close friends we collaborate often uh he owns a comic book company that I write for so I just called him and I was like hey the cast wants to do this these are kind of the three I like I kind of have half an idea of how to make it work if we jump systems but I don't know if this is real and so he and I were on the phone for about an hour and just talked our way through it and workshopped it and figured out how to transport these characters to a kids on brooms game mm-hmm. um and then once I decided that we were going to do a kids on brooms game I called another DM that I really uh I know personally we have a friendship his name is William White he does a show on Q Times called High Dinks and Handlebars and they're on the kids on bikes system so the systems okay. are very similar I'm um, mm-hmm. not exactly the same but I called uh william to just ask him about like tips for running games and kids on brooms and those similar systems and like what you know i could do differently or better or you know just just gm to gm kind of chit chat yeah and he said that one of his friends they had had the idea that they wanted to run a stream where every season they jumped to a different game but they weren't sure how it would work and he's like i'm happy that you're actually making that a thing like you figured out how to make it work and i'm happy you figured out how to make it work yeah so at that point i was like well 
since I'm quote unquote the person who figured out how to make it work, I have to keep this going now. Yeah. Um, but it was all kind of the same thing, the same way that the whole stream started. It was all just kind of just weird and jokey. I'm like, hey, can I make this work? Can we figure it out? And so, spoiler alert, I'm not sure when the podcast will go up. This information, we're recording on Sunday. This information will be re- revealed to the public on Tuesday. So maybe it's a spoiler, oh, yeah. maybe it's not. You got plenty of time, yeah. Okay, cool. So our next, our season three is actually going to take place uh, in the in Call of Cthulhu. As nice. a cast, yeah. we've decided. We have, again, we're going to keep the same characters. And I told them, again, in the green room, I told my players, like, hey, I have an idea. It will keep us with the same characters, but in a different system, if you want to do this. If you don't, you know, we always have options. We can do whatever you guys want to do. We're a team. We make these decisions together. Um, but I kind of, I had the, I, it was, again, started as a joke. I posted something because Regina King and Idris Elba are going to be in this new, like, Western-themed movie. Mm, yeah. And I had posted about it. And Kiki was like, yo, can we be cowboys next season? <laughs> and then BK was like, yo, I really want to be a cowboy next season. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to be a cowboy. Oh yeah. So the so the next Tuesday, I told them, and I was like, "Hey, Kiki and DK and I were joking, and I had this idea, but like, if you guys want to do it, I have half an idea. We can be cowboys next season if that's what y'all want to do." And I was like, "I don't know what system it is." And our producer Jake was like, "Actually, there's a Call of Cthulhu Western edition. You could very easily be cowboys." <laughs> nice. Yes, I am. I'm for that. So that's exciting. You know, yeah. and, and I just, I do think as a GM and a writer, because I primarily, my primary background is being a writer. I went to school to write theater and film. Okay. And that influences a lot of the choices that I make as a GM. My primary background being a writer is always looking at what's a writing challenge for me. How can yeah. I challenge myself as a writer? And the other reasons I love tabletop because it's very much collaborative storytelling. It's very much mm. like theater. Oh, it's yeah. very sure. much uh, like improv and that's that that's the mindset that i go into it all the time and it's funny because you called me out you're like you're a very friendly like a gracious a very giving dm yeah yeah. i go into it with the improv mindset of yes and so my players are going to say something super crazy and i feel like my job as a dm is like yes and yeah so you know last week when uh or two weeks ago i think in game jeff said something really crazy and he was like i'm the smartest you know player i'm the smartest student at this school and I was like, yes, and Jeff, you now smoke a pipe and you've got leather elbow patches on your cardigan because you think you're the smartest one here. And now like <laughs> your roles are going to be harder because you think you're the smartest student at the school. Like that's just, yeah. I come from that yes and background. Yeah. No, that's funny. Yeah. I think um, I didn't really realize because I'd never like did theater or drama or anything like that. I I, I do write um, not as much as I used to, but I definitely, that's something that, I will always pursue my life. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, like learning to improvise um, Mm -hmm. in those gaming sessions, my first early game, like, okay, yeah, I can do that. And so a lot of my game prep, I've talked about this before, but I I don't really do like intensive game prep because I'm like, you know, lay out some Mm -hmm. foundation for my players to use. And then, and then we'll just go from there and figure it out. Um, You know? And so I, I try to do a lot of, uh, descriptive battles and stuff like that. And then try to make a list of voices. Cause that helps me a lot, you know, trying to figure out a voice on the fly and a name is just like, uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. um, but yeah, so uh, I think it, it's good to, you know, to help. I mean, and to just kind of just be super 
generous sometimes and, um, and sometimes be generous, but, uh, have a different plan in mind. And so, yeah. Oh, for sure. And that's something that's changed with me. You know, this, this game was my first experience GMing. And so I asked a lot of different friends and I'm, I'm lucky to be in Los Angeles and be in this TTRPG and this cosplay community. So I have like B Dave Walters as, um, a source because I knew him personally. I had Jason Carl as a source because I know Jason personally just from hanging out at golf clubs and that kind of situation. So I had this great brain to be able to pick. Um, Kaylee Bray is another one whose brain that I was able to pick just because I happen to know these people from all of us living in Los Angeles. And and the all the different GMs and DMs that I talked to, they're like, oh no, I don't do like super intensive game prep. I just kind of like have plot points and know like, you know, like, like a paragraph worth of whatever's going to happen this session. And I'm like, but how? When I first started. And when I first yeah. started, I had these very intense, like three and five, five pages, you know, of stuff, of stuff. And as I started playing with this cast, especially Moses, I will call him out. I realized mm. that like my five pages of stuff didn't fucking matter because Moses <laughs> is going to set something on fire or say no. Or do something ridiculous. And like, as my job as a game master, I'm like, okay, well, right? Like, I guess you can do this, but I'm just going to make you roll for it. And then I will yeah. improvise after you roll the dice and we'll figure out what happens. And so I, I will say that my notes have drastically changed mm -hmm. from season one to season two, where I went from like four to five pages to literally like two to three paragraphs. And there was a session when I sort of told everyone, like, I didn't, I didn't write a solution to this problem i wrote a problem and y'all can solve it however you want to because that's what you're going to do anyway right yeah in the end <laughs> that, yeah. yeah for sure well it's it's always funny um you know watching the the, the stream and watching the interactions and uh i really have enjoyed it it's uh it's been a blast and it was really cool to see especially this kind of game presented with an all-black cast you know, that's, I, I really loved it. And I mean, it all happened just because you followed me on social media. Because I, like I said, I was looking yeah. around and, and most of the where I looked was is, on the podcast space. So, yeah, the community is so small. And I definitely make it a point to follow other creators of color, right? Because mm -hmm. just the, we're, we're just in a tiny community and we really need to support and uplift each other. And for me, it's not about like, the Hollywood aspect of networking and like you can do a thing for me and I'm going to do a thing for you. Like it's not about that. For me, it's all really just about there are so few of us. We need to be in this together. Yeah, for sure. You know, a, rise, a rising tide lifts all boats. And if I can be part of that rising tide, I'm going to do it and I'm going to bring everybody else with me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, very cool. Well, I think that's probably where we'll end uh, the recording tonight. But um, thank you so much for for coming on and talking to me. And no, thank you for reaching out. I like I said, a rising tide lifts all boats, and I'm just I'm I'm so hyped that this community is growing because you know we've had similar experiences, and and I'm sure we both remember going to to cons or whatever it was and being like the token. Yeah. And so I'm so glad that we are creating our own community, and it's no longer tokenization. It's just that. We're here. We're taking up space. Fucking deal with it or get out. <laughs> yep. Yeah, absolutely. For sure. Very good. Yeah, so thanks again. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com 
Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. 